0: Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. This week, Palm Sunday. And really, if you're not familiar, if you don't grow up in church, you probably have no idea what that is. So Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. And he rode in on a donkey. It had been prophesied that this is exactly what would happen. And Isaiah had been prophesied that he'd ride in on a donkey, on a coal, so a young donkey. And as he was doing that, people were super excited. They recognized him, the Jews in Jerusalem recognized hey, this is the Messiah, he's gonna come. And they thought, he's going to set up his kingdom. They're going to save us from the Romans. So They get all excited. They're taking off their coats and putting them down on the road, treating him like royalty. And people who, I don't know if they had like a nice coat or they didn't have a coat, but they're cutting down palm branches and putting them on the road and, and putting them down for him, covering it up so he has this nice path to go in on. And that's why they call it Palm Sunday. Now, it didn't last long. Because a couple of days later, those same crowds that were all so excited and shouting Hosanna and so excited that He's there, well, He didn't do what they thought He was going to do. So, just a few days later, they completely turn around and they turn into crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. And then, of course, three days after that is the resurrection, which is Easter and next week, which again, it is a great opportunity to invite because people are open. And my favorite thing, like, my least favorite thing in the world are bait and switch, where somebody tells you one thing, and then you get there, and it's completely different. And here's the, my favorite thing about inviting people to church is they know what I'm asking them about. It's not like, come over to my house, and then it's like, ha-ha, Amway, surprise. It's, It's none of that. If you're going to church, people know I'm going to probably hear about God. It's not a bait and switch. It's exactly what it is. It's it's going to be church. So that's going to be next week. Now, this week we are continuing and we're actually wrapping up our series, Money Talks. And as I was putting this together, there's, there's some, some of these, these topics and things that the Bible has to say about money that really don't turn into like an entire message. They're just, they're just little nuggets. It's just like, hey, the Bible has this and this and this. So what we're going to do is we're going to get through as many of these nuggets as we can or as time allows this morning. Now, this first one, I did not do right. I did not do right. I did this one wrong. So I thought it would be a good one to start with. Um, it was actually, I think it was about 22 years old. I had just bought my first house and I hadn't decided what I was going to do yet, whether I was going to, you know, when I bought it, I was like, I might rent it out. I might move in and live there. I don't know. And then I started like fixing it up. And, and about six months after I had, had the house, my dad comes by. And, and he's like, so you're, you're living here now. And I'm like, yeah, I, I am. It's I'd started fixing it up and I'd kind of like somehow there was a couple of roommates started living with me and paying me. I'm like, well, that's great. This is is great. And my dad looks at me and he's like, well, you did this wrong. And I'm like, what? What did I do wrong? And then he paraphrased what Proverbs 24 verse 27 says, which is this. He says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. After that, build your house. And later I asked him about this. He's like, well, the reason I didn't tell you that right away, he says, I thought that this was your outdoor work. He said, I thought you were doing this as a rental and that this was your outdoor work and not your house. But the principle is this. The principle in the Bible is prepare what's going to bring you your income and then build the house. Don't build the house. In other words, it's don't use your seed to look like you have a harvest. If a farmer has one bag of seed, if he plants it, it multiplies. If he eats it, it's gone. And so the principle really is, don't do what we see happen so often, which depending on where you hear or or who you listen to, it's somewhere between a, a newly married couple, usually spends between three and five years accumulating the same amount of stuff the same cars and living in the same neighborhoods and houses or bigger than their parents are, but they do in three to five years what took their parents 30 years to do. They're like, we want it now, we wanna look like we have a harvest. And then they spend the next 20 and 30 years paying back everybody else, paying back the banks so they could have all of this looking like they had this harvest now, and it just ends up stressful. I mean, I've never known anybody, I've never known anybody who's like, oh, credit card debt just makes me feel so good. It just sprices up my day whenever I get that overdue bill. Oh, bill collector calls are my favorite. It's just so nice. No, uh, a few years ago, we switched some phones around and Becca got a new number. And they gave us a new number, but they did not like discontinue that thing long enough because whoever had it before had some overdue bills. And so, we started getting these, these bill collector things and I'm like, you've got the wrong number. And they're like, I know I don't have the wrong number. And I'm just like, You do? Like, I don't know what to say. And they're like, we know this, and you've got to pay And they were just incredibly rude. And that is my, thank goodness, only experience with bill collectors. And they still were jerks. And they wouldn't stop calling. I'm like, you got the wrong number. Finally, I called Verizon. I was like, you got to get us a new number. This is not working. And this is why. They're like, oh, we're so sorry. They should have, you know, stayed retired long enough. Um, but, But it didn't. But the principle is this, is it's establish that job. Get those streams of income coming in first, and then the house. Don't buy the house, assume the lifestyle, and then go try to pay for it. That's backwards, and it adds stress that we just do not need. And I love that that's in there. See, the Bible is not just a book on how to go to heaven. But Jesus says, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. It really does get down into the nitty-gritty of this is how we're supposed to live our lives. This is how we're supposed to do it. The next nugget is this one. It's greed is not a rich man's disease. Greed is not a rich man's or woman's disease. Ephesians five three, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed. Luke twelve fifteen, it says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. See, so you can be greedy with twenty bucks to your name, or you can be greedy with twenty million. Greedy is not a amount of money. It's not a state of mi- greed. Is a state of mind. It is not a state of money. It doesn't matter how much you have or how you don't. I know some incredibly generous people, and as a, as a whole, Americans, they tell us that the those who live in what is called the poverty level are the most generous overall. That they give a higher percent of their income away than those who make 60, 70, 80, 90, and 150,000. And they, the people with higher incomes don't actually catch up until they're in the 150s and 200s. Do they catch back up? They're giving with those percentages with those who actually live in and below what we're told is our poverty level. Greed is not about how much money you have. I've been around some extremely generous, extremely generous wealthy people who I'm like, I love that they have the ability to do the things that they're doing. One, one couple in particular um, decided that they wanted to have a camp for kids. They're like, we want to have a camp. And so they went to Montana and they bought a whole bunch of land and they built a camp and they said, would you come out and show us how to do this? Because we want to do this camp for kids. And I'm like, sure, absolutely, you know, love, love to. How, how are we going to do this? And they said, we'll show up on the airport, we'll jump in our jet, and we'll go. I said, sounds good. So we did. I drove to the airport, and we got in their car and drove out on the runway and got in their airplane. And when he said it was time to go, we just took off. It was a riot. We landed, and it was fun. The Cars drove right out on the runway and picked us up out of their jet and took us off. And I'm like, that's how you fly. Wow, that's nice. I'd still be at the airport going through security and we're, we're here. Like, this is awesome. And we get out there and I was absolutely amazed because they built a camp for kids in Montana and they didn't just like throw up a couple of shacks. The bathrooms had heated floors. They did bunk houses. They said, we want this to be really nice. We want people to come to get away from their distractions, to get away from things that they're used to, and to get an environment where they can hear from God. And I love that because I I definitely see the value in environments. I definitely do. Like, I can take, it doesn't matter what seed I take, I can throw it on the stage and it's not going to grow. You can come back in a week and a month and a year, it's not going to grow. The environment that that seed is in is so important. And so we went out to this campground And not only did they build the campground, but they said, it's going to be free for everybody who comes, but they have to be preaching the Word of God to the kids that come. So we showed them a bit of how to do it, and then I think it was about 10 years straight, we took one week every year that we would go out, and they would cover everything for every single camper that came the entire summer. It was free for all of them, and all these different church camps came. And I know people who turned their lives around on this who are now youth pastors in different states and pastors and doing different things and leading their families because somebody was generous. I love that they had the finances and the ability to do that. And then I watched them go through some major financial trouble, and it was in the news and all this stuff was happening. And I called and I said, are you guys, is this still going to happen? We're getting ready to promote what's going on at the camp. And they said, Oh, definitely it's going to happen, and we might have to cut back some other things, but we're going to make sure that the camp still continues. And I was just like, I love that God blessed them and that they have that ability. So that is fabulous. Greed is not, you don't hit a dollar number and suddenly have it or don't. It's a mindset. It's a mindset that we need to fight. We need to fight that mindset. And the the number one way that we do it is by giving, giving of our time, giving of our finances, giving of our prayer. It's the number one way that we fight it. And if you have trouble doing those things, then it's a sign that you need to do more of those things. Number three, we're going to go to this, is this one, seed, time, and harvest. Seed, time, and harvest. God's blessing comes through channels. God designed seed time and harvest. And I don't know if you know this, but God is definitely a God of order. You look at the solar system and seasons and day and light, God designed all of it. He is a God of order. The way that the trees work and that they cross-pollinate and you, you have one apple tree, but you got to have two because they need to be close enough to be able to. God is a God of order. And I think many of us miss God's blessings because we do not understand seed time, and harvest. We look for the supernatural, and we miss God's blessings that He brings through channels. We miss them because they come through, through channels. And I want to read Joshua 5, 12. And the Israelites, they were in Egypt, they were in captivity. God sent Moses and said, get these guys out of there. He says, I'm going to bring them to the promised land, their own land, the land I promised Abraham. They need to get there. Let's go. So Moses leads them out of Egypt, and they get to the promised land, and there have been miracles along the way. It was amazing. But they get to the promised land and they don't trust God because the promised land, it wasn't empty. There was people there. God's like, I'm going to help you to feed them. They don't trust God. God says, fine, you're going to wander the wilderness for 40 years until this generation that's full of doubt and unbelief dies off. But your children are going to enter this promised land. Well, the time comes. They've been wandering around the desert for 40 years and they come to the promised land. And the amazing thing is how God provided for them in the desert. The Bible says that their shoes and their clothes did not wear out. Is that supernatural? Yeah, that's supernatural. God led them during the day with a pillar of cloud over them, and at night He'd lead them with a pillar of fire. I'd say that was supernatural. They needed water, and they complained, and God tells Moses to speak to a rock and to hit the rock, and water comes out of it. They say, we're hungry, and we need food, and why'd you bring us out here to die? And So God brings manna, it's like literally bread from heaven that they would go out and gather every morning. Then they complain about the manna and it was bread and we don't like that. And then in Egypt we had meat and so he says, you're gonna have meat till it comes out of your ears. And so he sends quail and God sends quail and so much of them, they're just running out and grabbing them. God provided for them supernaturally. This is what it says, Joshua 5 verse 12. And I think many times we hear that and it's absolutely true. Yes, I believe every bit of that happens. But then we say, "Okay, God, now do that for me." But let's read Joshua 5:12. No manna appeared on the first day that they first ate from the crops of the land. They entered the promised land. And it was never seen again. So from that time on the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan of Canaan. Seed time and harvest. God blesses us through channels. And sometimes we want the supernatural. We pray, we're like, you know, finances are tight, and so we're praying like, God, okay, we, we need some more, more money. We got to be able to pay this, and we need to do this. We're, 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 we're getting things under control, but we need, to, we need to pay some bills. And we get the call, hey, there's extra overtime at work. Do you want to jump in? And we're like, no, not this week. I got, I got some stuff going on. Hang that up and get back to praying and go and check the mailbox. Blessing comes through channels. It comes through channels. And the times that we see the supernatural is when we have done the natural. And as you look in Scripture, the natural is not working. And all of a sudden, the supernatural comes into play. The majority of the way that God provides for His people is through His blessing, through channels that you have in your life. It's through channels. Never in the Bible do we see Jesus counterfeit anything. Jesus is in the temple, and the, the Pharisees come to him, and they're like, hey, do you guys pay the temple tax? And he needed money for tax. You know what he didn't do? He didn't reach up in the air or behind the Pharisee's ear and go, ha, gold, here you go. And like, oh, magic. He didn't make it appear out of nowhere. No, he told his disciple. he said, hey, John, go over and go fishing. The first fish that you catch, check its mouth. There'll be a gold coin in its mouth. And I love that story because in that, you see, they went after it. He goes and he goes fishing. And God didn't make it out of, no, out of nothing, but instead, there that coin was in the fish's mouth, the exact amount that was needed for the tax. And I know where that coin came from. Somebody dropped it at some point, point. God asked a fish to go get it, and the fish said okay. And there are times where the supernatural definitely comes in. You look at Jesus feeding the 5,000 from the two loaves, the two fish and the, the loaves. But long down silver is number two, whatever it is. It's like that, and He fed 5,000 people. So how did that happen? Because the supernatural came in. They started with something natural, and they prayed and they prayed. They blessed it, God blessed it, and it multiplied. Do not miss God's blessing because it's coming through a natural channel. Don't miss God's blessing. I like the way that Thomas Edison said it. He said this, opportunity is missed by many people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. This opportunity is missed. Proverbs 14, 23 says, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. I've got a little tab in my, in my phone, in my notes, and it's this. It's God idea or good idea. And I'm like, God, are you, are you giving me an idea or is it just me? And this is a good idea. When they come, if it's in the middle of the night or while I'm out driving, I write them down and I revisit them later and I ask other people about them later. Like, I'm like, is this a God idea or is this a good idea? Because I have friends who God gave them ideas, and they put them to work, and it helped their company, and it helped them immensely, immensely, immensely. One, one, one friend, he said, I had a God idea he Said a gentleman at work or at, at church had an engine repair business, and I just looked at him, and instantly he said, I, I knew it was a God idea. He says, I went to him, and I said, um, I'm going to double your business. And the guy goes, what? He says, I'm going to double your business. He says, you're doing all of it locally. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to do it online. This is how you're going to do it. And if you do this here and if you do this, this is going to double your business. And the guy just looks at him and goes, really? Three months later, he was making more money from the online part of it than he was the local part of it. And my buddy that told him that goes, I wonder if that was for me or for him. I could have done all those things. I'm not really sure. And he kind of laughed at the He's like, oh, okay. He goes, but it was definitely a god idea, and the blessing came. It was a God idea, and I believe in the supernatural. I most definitely, definitely do. God can move, but don't close your eyes to how He uses natural funnels and natural channels to bless us and to allow us to be a blessing to other people. Thomas Jefferson said it this way, I'm a great believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more of it I have the more of it I have. Blessings, seed, time, and harvest, natural channels, natural channels. The next one is this, to give, this is the next little nugget here, to give or not to give? That's the question. You ever wonder that one? I wonder that one all the time because I hear stories of people like giving away houses, cars, and and people like, I just drained everything, and we gave every penny, and I'm like, oh, that's so, I'm like, I want to do that, but how do I know to do that, like to give or to not give? And I was in a meeting and a pastor got up and he, he told his story about how he did exactly that, how he was sitting down and he said, God just told me I needed to give away everything. He said, I knew what it meant. It meant our cars, it meant our house, it meant everything in our savings, everything in our checking, everything in our retire- my retirement, everything in my wife's retirement. He goes, and we had done it before, so we just did it again. And I was sitting there, and I was like, that's so awesome, but how do you know? Like, I love that, but how do you know when to give and when not to give? And so they had some question and answer afterwards, and I jumped up, and it was about twice this big, and I ran to the front. And the guy's like, so you have a question? I'm like, yes, I am getting this one answered. And so I asked, and I said, how do you know when to give? And he said, you'll have peace about it. He just looked at me, he's like, you'll have peace. If God leaves you? He goes, you give that number, don't give a penny less or a penny more than God tells you to give. And he's like, next question, next question. And I was like, yes, no. Like you didn't say, well, actually, you know, God did tell you while you were in, you know, your house sitting in your green chair looking out the window at the blue car and he didn't confirm anything for me, but it was. He says, if you have peace, that is what you do. You give if you have peace because there's a time that you want to give and there's a time not to give. There's a time where it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Second um, Thessalonians 3.10 says this, "'Even while we were with you, we gave you this, real, this rule, he who does not work shall not eat.'" We'll just keep reading verse 11. Yet, we hear that some of you are living in laziness, refusing to work, and wasting time gossiping. Verse 12, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people, we commend them to to quiet down, get to work, and earn their own living. There are some times that we look and giving, it's not going to help. It's not going to help. It says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. They're People who have the ability says, we command you in the Lord, like, get back to work. Stop being lazy and go earn a living. There's a time where I do believe God puts things on our hearts. And if God puts a number on your heart, then go and do it and give it. And if he doesn't, then don't. But there's a time where we look and it's not going to be helpful. A time where we give and you're like, it's, it's, it's not helping you do anything. It's helping you to stay where you are. And we look at it this way, like as a church, if people come with needs, we like to help. But what is going to happen next month when this bill comes again? Are you doing anything or is this gonna, are you going to be in the same problem you are now 30 days from now? It's a really good way to look. Like if I give you this money today, if we pay this bill today, what's going to stop this from happening again 30 days from now? Because then we're just like, we're sinking. Let's, let's stop the, the sinking before we do something about it. And there is a time to give, and there's a time where you say, you know what? This is not the right time to give. And the Bible, especially as we look at the Old Testament, it was amazing. Because what, what happened as we look at Israel is God literally set up a nation, the nation of Israel. No president, no king. They had no king in the beginning. He said, this is how you are to run a nation. And as you look through the Old Testament, it talks about the role of government and enforcing laws and the roles of of laws and all these different things that apply to how a nation should be run and how it should be run. And I think one of those that's really interesting is is in Leviticus. And it talks about taking care of the poor. And this is what it says in Leviticus 9. It's actually Leviticus 19, 9. And it says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. He's talking to an agricultural society and he says, don't go back over your fields. Now, here's what I find interesting. What he doesn't say is, go over your fields a second time, pick up the grapes that you dropped, and go and take them and drop them off at the poorer's house. He says, leave them for the fatherless and the widow. And literally, that's what happened. If you look at the book, if you've ever read the book of Esther, where she is Going out in a field and gleaning, she's going after the harvesters, and they were not allowed to go back over it a second time. And that's what she was doing. She was poor. She lived with her mother-in-law, a widow, and they would pick up. They would work for what they would be able to eat. It wasn't a handout. They were able to work, and there was a there was a channel for that to happen. And I love that, that they dignified the needy in that time by giving them a way to work for what they needed. Even though they had not planted, they involved them in the harvesting so that they could go and then have the the food that they needed. And there is a time when giving is not helping anymore. There is a time, and it's usually not black and white but it's gonna be something that you're gonna to need to know and you're gonna to need to pray and be like, God, we've been trying to help this couple. We've been helping this person over here or this needy here, and are they taking advantage of us? And is it okay? Do I need to stop or do I just need to keep giving? There is a time where you look and you say, it's not helping, and you need to be praying. If you have peace and you're like, you know what, we're not gonna do this more. It's not helping. We want to be a blessing to other people. We want to be a blessing But if it's not helping, then there is a time where we do not give, where we say, you know what, we're not going to do this. And our next one, and I'm giving the people the back a run for my money because I'm bouncing all over on these. I think we'll go with number six, which is, but what if we split everything? What if we split? Would that solve our problems? Would that solve the I haves, the haves and the have-nots, the do's and the don'ts? What would that solve? Matthew 25, 14 says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted them with money while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to the other one, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing up the portions to their abilities. He then left on his trip. He gave them some according to their ability. If you have something that's beyond your ability to take care of, it's not a blessing anymore. It is not a blessing anymore. Consumers.com reported this. One in three lotto winners, one in three lotto winners are in serious financial trouble within five years. One in three. They get Finances, but it does not solve the problem. It does not solve the problem. One guy in particular, in 1985 won 16 what was it? 16.2 million dollars. William Budd. Within a year, he declared bankruptcy, and he said, I wish it never had happened. An ex-girlfriend sued him for some, um, family members like, you have to invest in this, and you need to invest in this, and do this, and begging him, and making him do this. His brother-in-law hired a hitman to kill him, thinking that he might inherit some of the money. He's like, it was a mess, and in one year, $16.2 million minus tax, gone, he's on food stamps. He says, I wish it had never happened. He says, I was better off before. I was better off before. Now, Luke 16.10 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with little. It is this, what you do with what you have, and this is the law, what you do with what you have is what you will do with what you get. What you do with what you have. Money isn't going to solve that problem, which is why I love... When I see people getting their finances in order, because it literally says, "God, I can handle more." But the inverse is true: when we won't, when we don't get it in trouble. We say, God, I can't handle more. But when we get a handle on our finances, where we have our finances and our finances don't have us, where we've learned to say no to impulse buys, we don't don't need to just satisfy every little craving and have the newest, shiniest anything, but we're able to use money, to see it as a tool, to use it, to use it to build the kingdom of God. We've got a handle on what we're doing. Then God says, I can give that person more. I can do that, and what we do, it is so much better. It is so much better. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But he gave according to what they could handle. According to what they could handle. Now, verse 28, he comes back. He comes back, and after a long time, he says, hey, how did it go? The guy that he gave the five talents to, the 10 talents to, the 10 bags of silver, he says, look, I earned you 10 more. Boom. And the guy says, awesome, well done. The guy that he'd given five to, The man says, look, I earned five more. And the guy says, awesome, well done. And then he goes to the one that said two, awesome, well done. But the guy that he gave one to, he says, hey, come give an account for what I gave you. And the man says, I knew you were hard. And you expected a lot. So I'll tell you what I did. I dug a hole. I put it in there. Here is what you gave me. Here it is back. Verse 28. Then he ordered, the man ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Verse 29, those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now that's not how most of us think. Most of us think, well, the guy who's got 10, he's already got 10, you know, help this guy here out, help him with some more but he did not have the ability to. If he had the ability to, that would be great. I was talking with a, uh, cars, a car salesman a while back. And I was asking him as a, about his dealership and how he ran things and how things were different. I love talking to people and, and learning how they do things. And he goes, we do things a little bit different around here. And I was like, ooh, okay. Like, how do you, how do, you, how do, you do it different? I was really excited to hear how he does this. And he says, uh, he says every now and then we get what I call freebies. He goes, people who are just, you, they're, they're coming to buy a car, whether it's a, an, an elderly couple who, you know, they've got the cash and every three years, you know, he buys her a car or she buys him something. It's just, it's just a freebie. You know what's going to happen. He goes, most dealerships, when those, when those come in, he said, they give it to the salesmen that are struggling. He says, we don't do that here. He goes, we give the freebies to our best salesmen. And he goes, and it really makes our bad salesmen upset. And I'm like, really? And I said, and? He goes, we keep the best salesmen, and the bad ones don't want to stick around. He goes, it's a win-win for me. And I, and I just kind of smiles like, oh, that's, that's great. He says, we reward the people who do a great job, and that's literally what this verse is talking about. He says, those who do well with what they have will be given even more. It is our our great salesmen. They get rewarded. They're really good at it. And that's really what this is talking about. If we have to raise our ability, there is a point where something is no longer a blessing. You've probably heard this and you've read this, I'm sure, lots and lots of times in different places where people are like, my kids are not getting my money because it wouldn't be a blessing. I think Bill Gates has done some of that. Uh, There's there's a ton of people with large amounts of money. Like, it would not be a blessing for them. And they're like, we don't want that. And they look and they say, the ability of my child, the ability of our kids, it would not be a blessing. And I want God to look and to say, and, and, and please don't think I'm just talking about finances because I'm not. But I want him to look and to say, Samuel and Becca have the ability to handle what I'm going to bring their way. I'm going to give them opportunity, but they're going to be able to handle it. But he's only going to give us the opportunities that we have the ability to handle. We can, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And as we look through here, I love this stuff because it is. It's looking at what the Bible has to say about how we handle money, doing it well, and handling it God's way. And the next one is this. This is verse 3. This is uh, number 3. So we're going to jump up to Proverbs 13, 11, way back at the beginning. And it says this, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. And I think way too often we we overestimate what we could do with a big income, but we underestimate what we could do with what we have. We think, well, if I had this, then I'd be able to do that. If I had this income, and little by little is what that verse says, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Gather it. Say, okay, how can I use what God has given me? And how can I make this grow? We were in Montana years and years ago and met a gentleman who, by all means, has never made in his life a six-finger income, but he gathered little by little, and he made it grow, and he is a millionaire many, many times over. Never, never made a large amount of money. And I look at that, and I just think, okay, I don't want to count on some big thing. That's not what is going to do that. I don't want to underestimate what I can do, what, what God has given me. Don't underestimate what you can do with the talents that God's given you. Don't underestimate what you can do with the resources that God has given you. If Don't look to tomorrow as the solution. Say, God, I want to do today what I can with what you have given me. And when we do this God's way and we honor him with what he, he has given us, he steps in and his blessing comes and it suddenly becomes on what it is that he has. Jesus said this. Oh no, no, I don't have time to get into that one. That one's fun. You know, we're not going to do that one. But I do want to end with this. I believe and what God's word said is true. That Jesus says, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And when we do it his way, it is so much better. It's not just we get to go to heaven one day. He says, I want to show you how to live now. Be content with what you have. If you're not content with what you have, getting what you want isn't going to change that. Learn that secret of being content, seeking after God, and living in all that he has for each and every one of us. He said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. But it starts with a relationship with him. It starts with seeing the need for him, saying, God, I know that I've done wrong. But I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. I want to live, God, with all that you have for me. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. The most important decision that you will ever make is your decision to say, God, I need you. I need you. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to ask that question, if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. To say, Jesus, I want what you have for me. I believe that you came to give me life and life to the fullest. I've made mistakes, I want you to forgive me of them, and I want to be yours. I've made a mess of my life. I've tried doing it my way, but God, I want to do it your way. I know what my way has gotten me, and today, God, I want to surrender to you. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. And then what you're going to do is right in your seat, we're going to, I'm going to lead out in a prayer. And when we say amen, you're going to know your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to heaven, and begin to walk out the plan and the purpose that God has for you. So if that's you, get ready. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up and say, that's me. Today, all the way up, not halfway. Say, today, I'm yours. God, I want all you have for me. All right, awesome, awesome. Okay, with every head bowed, here's what we're gonna do. I want everybody to repeat after me. And you that lifted your hand as you say this, you make these words your own. Everybody repeat for me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying so I could be free, for shedding your blood for me. From now on, I'm yours. I'm gonna live for you with all that I am. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.